You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Now, whether you're looking for batteries for your truck, your TV remote control, your trail cameras, anything, anything in between, Interstate Batteries has the batteries for you. You can visit their retail stores and there's literally thousands of them all over the country or you can go to interstatebatteries.com and check out all the different types of batteries that they offer there as well so big shout out to interstate batteries for being a proud supporter of the sportsman's nation Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. My name is Dan Johnson. I'm your host. And I just want to put a warning out there. Like when a hurricane hits the shore, right? They put those flags up saying, hey, there's a hurricane coming or whatever. Uh, I'm pull, I'm going to put up the bullshit session flag today because we have a really good BS session with my main man and actually I guess, brother to the Sportsman's Nation, Parker McDonald of the Southern Ground Podcast on, and we just BS for a while, man. That's uh, that's what we do today. Um, there's no real rhyme or reason. We talk about hunting down in the South. We talk about his hunting season. We talk about his dad. We talk about his job and tattoos. So there's a uh, wide variety of things that we talk about today. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. If you enjoy our BS sessions, you're going to love this one for sure. Um, But before we get into today's podcast, I just want to send a shout out to Prime Archery. They make a kick-ass bow. They make several kick-ass bows, right? And I had it. I had an awesome experience last year with the Logic, uh, and this year I'm shooting the Logic CT3, and that is a 33-inch axle-to-axle. I believe it's it's longer than last year's bow, and that little bit of added length from the axle-to-axle, I feel 
is a good thing, right? I feel like my bow is just a little, little bit quieter, but I don't know if that necessarily has anything to do with it, but it does help with um, like forgiveness and uh, a little bit of accuracy with that longer axle to axle. And um, this early in the game, I feel I'm shooting better than I was last year uh, this early into the game. So I think a longer axle to axle um, like suits me better and I'm finding better results this early in the game. Now I'm at, at no point like where I should be right as far as my as far as the hunting uh, year is concerned, but I will tell you this: uh, if if you want to shoot a really good bow, you need to go check out a Prime, and you can do that at PrimeArchery.com. Let's get into today's bullshit session podcast with Parker McDonald. Mister Parker McDonald, how the hell are you? I'm doing fantastic, Dan. How are you doing, buddy? That's good. It's good. Um, you know why I like listening to your podcast? Um. Because I have a face for radio. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that, well, that makes two of us. That makes two of us. No, um, because I see you being successful in Alabama. And I think I was there for maybe two hunting seasons when I was living down in Alabama. And literally in the same area that you're living in. And I saw one turkey and one deer the entire time that I was down there. That was like for a year and a half. Well, you, you need to, uh, we don't get a whole lot of opportunities out here, so we may see one turkey and one deer, but you got to take advantage of those opportunities when you get them. Right. So that's, right. that's pretty much it. Right. So how was your turkey season this year? Uh, man, honestly, it was probably the best I've ever had. Um, like most of the time, most, most years, turkey during turkey season, I am, uh, extremely happy when it's over because public land turkeys out here it's not like you're going to go out and get it all done in one day uh we have five turkey tags so we get a lot yeah we get a lot of turkey tags and um it's it's like at one point at the beginning of the season you're like if i only kill one turkey it'll be i'll be fine with it then you kill one turkey and you're like well if i could just kill two (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then and it's like a never ending it's it just doesn't end until you legally have to be done and yeah. so uh i i find myself a lot getting jealous of like uh guys like you and up north and in the midwestern states where you only get one turkey tag and it's like well that's all i could have done i did the best i could and yeah um so i it was good man i ended up shooting two this year here in alabama on public land um and it, it was a lot of fun. I got one of them on film and, uh, and one of them, we actually did a spot in stock while my dad was here. And it was, uh, it was kind of a, it was a cool hunt because we had been on this bird and we ended up just like, it would not come to us. It stayed on this ridge in between us and the lake. Well, we kind of figured we could, uh, to try to do a spot and stalk and it ended up working. We ended up bumping into the birds. There was two of them. We bumped into them. And so I just left the camera right there and, uh, kind of just put the camera on us while we were walking. And you can actually, in the video, we walked maybe like 30 yards and you see me shoot. And, uh, and I ended up shooting, I didn't shoot the long beard. I ended up shooting the Jake and, uh, my dad missed the long beard. And, uh, so it was, it was cool. Overall, that was, it was a good season. I had more, 
opportunities probably this year than I've ever had. And I got on birds consistently and it was, uh, yeah, it, it was, it was one of those things where it's like, you know, I feel like I came out of the season as a better Turkey hunter than I went into the season as, so it was good. That's a win right there, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. It, we, I had a good time. Um, you know, I'm, I've, I've been turkey hunting for now probably about five, five years. And, uh, I pretty much started on my own. I say that I, I say it a lot, but, um, I started turkey hunt when I was living in Texas and we could turkey hunt during deer season. And I just don't really count that. I killed a lot of Rios when I lived in Texas, but I just, I don't know. I don't feel right about counting it on my, as a turkey hunter. Um, I shot my first turkey with a rifle which was completely legal there, but it was, uh, it, that was kind of how I turkey hunted back then. And so now moving down here to the Southern States and hunting Easterns, it's just a different, it's a different animal. And so I've been doing that for like five years and I never really had like a mentor or anything like that to teach me how to do it. So yeah. it was just kind of just doing it on my own, you know, and, and learning it on my own, listening to podcasts and listening to watching YouTube videos and stuff like that, trying to teach myself how to do it. And so that's kind of my goal. Like I said, is if I can come into a season or if I can walk out of a season as a better turkey hunter than I was going into it, then it was a, it was a good season for right. sure. Now you mentioned something about your dad and, and uh, maybe I didn't catch it on your podcast, but you know, I see your dad in your videos. You talk about your dad uh, on the podcast. You've had your dad as a guest on, on your podcast, what kind of role did your father play in you becoming like passionate about the outdoors? Well, a, a big one, a huge role. Like we are, um, I talk about my dad a lot and, uh, have him on anytime I can. Uh, if he's in town, you know, I have him on or, uh, if, if we're on, we do, we do a big rutcation trip every year. Um, and he comes down here and we hunt, we hunt public land and, uh, he lives in Texas, so he uh, he doesn't have a whole lot of public land access. He owns some property there that he hunts, and and so he once I started hunting public land, he really got kind of into it and really wanted to do it. And he actually killed his first public land buck this year here in Alabama, which was pretty cool. But he played a uh, it was like a best friend role, if that's if that's possible. He was he was not really into the outdoors. He was he was a, he loved to fish. And, um, when I was, before I was born, but he didn't really hunt much. He, he kind of went every once in a while. Um, his dad, my grandfather owned a, a paint shop and they would take people out. Uh, they would take people out to, to hunt clients out to hunt. And mostly it was just my grandfather and the clients getting drunk out, out on a mountain <laughs> is kind of, is kind of what it was. And my dad really wanted to do it, but he just didn't have the opportunity and so I remember we actually had me and him were talking about this um, the other day. We talk about it a lot, but the very first time we went, uh, we were in West Texas, and a buddy of ours, somebody that worked at the paint shop with my grandfather, he had access to this like 150, 200 acre piece of land right in the hill country of Texas. And if any of your listeners are, are from the hill country of Texas, you know that there's like there's a ton of deer. Like it's, it's an ungodly number of deer. They're not huge, but they're, they're everywhere. And, uh, that was my first time, my first time sitting in a, in a shooting house with my dad 
um, he shot his very first deer, which was pretty cool. And I was like seven years old. I got to be there with him. And, uh, and then that evening he actually shot an eight point as well. And so I got to be with him for that. And then that afternoon, so it was actually, he shot his first deer that morning. Uh, we went driving around and he shot a turkey that day. Cause you can shoot turkeys during the fall in, uh, in Texas. He shot his first turkey. And then that evening he shot his first eight point. So I really had a really good first time experience in the woods. And, uh, I got to be there with him. I got to see all those animals die and like, from then on, dude, I was just infatuated with it. I couldn't, I couldn't, you couldn't pull me away from it. I was renting all the hunting shows from Blockbuster. Um, I didn't really care about, <laughs> I didn't care about video games. I was buying broadheads, even though I didn't have a bow. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like that's just how it was, man. I was, I, anytime I got $5 for pulling weeds out of our yard, I would go buy something at Walmart that had to do with hunting. Like it, it really, and my dad, he supported it. He took me and, uh, he never was the kind of guy that was going to go by himself on any trips. Like he always took me with him and, uh, and that was just kind of how it was. And so it, it's really made our relationship absolutely incredible. So it's almost um, kind of like you went through this period, this, I don't know, this learning to hunt. I mean, you guys are kind of going on this path together. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That was, uh, that's, that's why I say more of a best friend role rather than a, he was a mentor in my life in a whole lot of different areas. Um, but really with the outdoors, with hunting and fishing, we were just kind of learning how to do it at the same time. Yeah. And, uh, and we still are like, (laughs) we still are trying to figure it out all together. And, uh, it's fun, man. I mean, he's the first person I call after I get off the water after I leave the woods, whatever I'm doing, he's the first person I call and talk about it with. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of guys don't have that kind of relationship with their dad and I'm just really lucky yeah. to, uh, to have that. Yeah. So kayaks, this is, I, I know this is a weird transition, but, <laughs> but like, so, so kayaks, kayaks right. <laughs> but, but, okay. I, I'm, I, I, I talk to you throughout the season, right? I, I watch the videos and whatnot, and um, you're getting up at like, what, like 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, right? Oh, and, then, dude. and you're driving, <laughs> yeah. right? And you're back door yeah. in some of these places on, uh, on the public ground with this kayak to try to gain the advantage. But I want you to talk to me about the first time you did that or, or why you decided to do that? Because, you know, I get the whole point about using a kayak to access, you know, or backdoor deer, but what led you to do that in the first place? Oh, dude. Um, there was a lot of things. So I, you know, talking about (laughs) just trying to figure out how to hunt on my own and with my dad and, and all that stuff. Like it, it was a, uh, I I grew up in, in West Texas where, it's such a different, it's just a different game. Hunting whitetails is so different out there. Cause you know, in Texas, you're pretty much crazy if you're not using a feeder and it's really hard to shoot a deer in Texas. If you're not using a feeder, actually this year I shot my first deer in Texas, not over a feeder. Like it was, it was completely run and gun just like I was hunting them on, on public land. Um, and so I felt pretty cool about that. But you, most people, man, they just, that's just how you hunt out there is over a feeder. And so, um, so you kind of learn how to do it like that. And then moving to Alabama, 
and Georgia, I was, man, I was just kind of lost. I didn't know. I didn't, I, I realized I didn't really know how to hunt. Um, it, not the, not the, not the best way I could. And, and so I got on some leases and stuff out here and golly, it's just, it's so political and so expensive. Like yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's super expensive. And my first year living back here, I actually, well, my first year living here, I got on a, a lease and I didn't kill a single deer on that lease. Um, now I missed one and had some other opportunities and, but it really wasn't, you know, it wasn't a crazy great experience. And, uh, and so that happened. And then I got on another one and I ended up doing pretty well on, on this other lease, but I paid a lot more money for it and, uh, spent a lot more time in the woods. Um, but then we moved back, we moved to Georgia and I did pretty well in Georgia. Georgia is kind of a sleeper state. It's got a lot of, a lot of deer on it. Then we moved back here to Alabama and I got on a lease on a club out here and it, I'm telling you, man, it was the most difficult season I'd ever had. And I felt like I was a better deer hunter, but it was so difficult. And after that, I just was like, you know what? I'm not going to waste my money on, on getting a lease. I'm, if I'm not going to kill a deer, I might as well just not kill a deer on public land and not pay anything for it. Right. And, um, and it was a weird it was a weird, um, chain of events really is I've always been a kayak fisherman. I've always done that, um, and had kayaks, uh, and I just happened to buy this, um, this crappy, I bought a Hummer. I'd always had a truck and I ended up buying a Hummer cause we were having a baby. And did you, and you it, realize what you just said? I bought a crappy Hummer. No, That's I not said, what I meant. No, you said, uh, I bought a Hummer because we were having a baby. It's just like that's that shouldn't even be a sentence. It's like, okay, I, I need to buy a Prius because we were having a baby, right? Instead you bought a Hummer. Well, I just needed the room. I got right. You. So I needed I needed we needed something to like to have a family with and I still wanted to have a, a, a vehicle that was practical for my lifestyle. Gotcha. And uh so I bought the Hummer. And um uh I needed to have a way to transport this this kayak my kayak with a hummer so i didn't have a truck anymore so i bought this big huge rusty like ski boat trailer because somebody was selling it for a 100 bucks and i just got this vision of hey i could put like racks on it i could use this thing as like a to hunt with it yeah. it was like this weird thing one day it just came to my mind i was like i could try to hunt and so i bought onyx and started looking at all the the different water access for public land. Mind you, I was not a public land hunter at this time, and so, uh, and and I didn't my my public land experiences were not good, and uh, but I, I I just like I remember texting my buddy Blake, who was the co-host when we first started the Southern Ground uh, Hunting Pod podcast. I texted him and I was like, bro, I just got this like vision from God. It's like this like awesome way to hunt and he was like dude i'm down let's do it let's try it and so it just kind of went on from there i ended up selling that trailer and buying something else to to be a little more practical but um i just started marking spots on onyx and uh, um actually the first day of the season the opening day of bow season that year um i'd done a lot of scouting done a lot of homework and uh the first day of bow season i ended up seeing two deer which was, um, which, you know, Dan, after living here, like seeing a deer on public land, yeah. 
at, at any point is good. And so that first day, I'd never seen a deer on public land in Alabama. And <laughs> that first day seeing it was like, dude, you would have thought I shot a booner that day. And I saw a, a mama doe and a baby. Like that was, that was it. And I was so jacked up, man. Like that was the first day I was just like, man, this is going to be the best. This is going to be the best in the world. So it kind of opened up a whole new, it's almost like a lifestyle for you now. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Sadly it is. It has become like, uh, it has become a lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and like you said, you know, waking up that early and, and doing all that stuff, like it kind of has to, yeah, you have to love it. Yeah. You, uh, you have to either love hunting or hate deer. Uh, yeah. My 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 boss says you really must hate them to do all that stuff. <laughs> That's funny because uh, I mean, you I mean you know how it is, right? Let's say you get into the rut and you're like seven days deep, you know, ten days deep into the rut, and it absolutely sucks getting up in the morning at that same time over and over and over again, right? And oh, yeah. and it. And you just, it's the last thing you want to do. Now, all I do is park my truck and I walk at most these days at most on, on the main farm that I hunt, maybe 600, 700 yards, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, maybe even further than that, depending on where I park or if I try to backdoor something and I do something special. Um, but like you guy, you're, you're not just walking. You have to unload and load and paddle and get out. Um, are there times throughout the year where you're just like, screw this and screw this kayak. I'm done with it. Uh, man, not yet. Okay. It hasn't happened yet. Now, um, there are like getting close to the end of the season. There are times when I will take advantage of getting invited to go hunt private land with yeah. buddies. Um, and it, it will really make you appreciate the, the grind, like the, the, you know, it's hard not to have a little bit of a a elitist mentality. I try not to, but, um, but it really, it like when you, when I hear of somebody who shot a a big deer out here on a well manicured club, it does, it just doesn't, it doesn't sound as attractive to me, you know? Yeah. Um, but I do, man, I do appreciate the times when I just get to walk in, you know, a couple hundred yards and sit in a shooting house over a greenfield and watch deer walk out, you know? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's not for me, like in my mind, everything is about the experience of it. And so if my, I've got such a high standard now for experiencing a hunt that anything else less than that is just not as fun to me, right. I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, it doesn't make it not fun. I still like to, I still like to hunt no matter how I'm doing it, you know, but the experiences I've, I've set the bar pretty high on my, on my, uh, bucket list as far as what I want to experience out of deer hunting. Yeah. And so, well, and it's crazy. And I, I sound like a broken record when I say this, cause I say it all the time. People get so caught up in antler size that they are missing the point here. Like they're missing Mm -hmm. something because like, if you're only interested in killing an animal because of its antlers, you know, yes, there's a strategy involved in doing that, but it's like, then it's the kill that takes the cake in the story. But Mm -hmm. like, man, I just, I don't care if it's a doe or a four corn buck. 
I just like hearing your stories because you're like, yeah, man, got up at three. I was on the water at four. I paddled for 45 minutes to get to this, this little cove, you know, landed the kayak, went in, set up my tree stand or my saddle or whatever it is you're using now. And, uh, I was, you know, I did all that before the sun even came up and then I shot a deer and then I had to drag him out and then I had to put him in my kayak and then I had to paddle back. And then it's just like that right there, that right there is a story. You know what I mean? Yeah. And for most people they're they're this like that part of the, like there's, there's really not any more. Like there's like three of those things that wouldn't be a part of anybody else's story. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like, you know, the dragging the deer out or whatever. I mean, some people, man, you know, you don't even have to do that. They they yeah. shoot it and drive up to it, and yeah. you're good to go. And that and I'm not saying that that's wrong either. Like no. it's not. It's it's totally fine if if that's what the person wants out of that out of that experience. And man, freaking power to you. There's times when. I'm dragging a deer a half mile, you know, or whatever. And I'm like, I, I wish I could just drive my, <laughs> I wish I could just drive a car to this thing. Yeah. Um, so, let you me, know, I mean, let me ask you this and kind of going back, taking a, uh, a backward step here and talking about, uh, hunting clubs, right. You mentioned, mm-hmm. um, you mentioned there was a lot of politics, uh, involved in some of these hunting clubs or some of these leases that you were a part of. I- what does that mean? Um, well, a lot of times, like on the one, I've, I've been on one club that was really good. It was, man, the people on it were great. They wanted to see everybody be successful. Um, it, it had some deer on it and it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed getting to hunt that place. But like I said, it was a little more expensive and, uh, and I, I just, I actually got married the next year and I couldn't afford, I just couldn't afford it. And so, um, but the other clubs that I've been a part of, um, well, one of them was a decent club. It just didn't have any deer. Like the people on it were great. It just was really tough, but man, there was a couple of them that were just like, you, you can't, if you hunt too much, they're going to be mad at you. If you, if you go outside of their, um, their shooting houses, like if you try to, like for me, I like to, I like to be a. I guess if you put a label on it, I like to hunt a beast style. So hunting buck beds, not very conventional, being, um, being super mobile. I don't want to hunt a green field very often. Um, like that's just kind of my, that's kind of my style now. And so going on most of these clubs, if you go and do that, they don't really like that cause you're messing up their, their spots. And, um, yeah, a lot of them, you know, I've, I know a lot of clubs where if you kill, if you kill a bigger buck than everybody else, they're going to vote you out of the club. And if you kill too many big bucks, they're going to vote you out of the club. It's just all, it's just all politics. And it's not, you know, it's not a, it's not fun. It takes the fun out of it. Man. And, and I just, you know, for me, if somebody's going to pay money, pay a lease, you know, a lease fee or whatever, then they need to be able to hunt however they want to, as long as they're, you know, being legal and safe, like, they should be able to do how they do it how they want to, yeah. and that's why I enjoy hunting public land is because I can hunt how I want to, yeah. you know, and other people can too, you know, that if they, I don't know if somebody walked into the area and took a dump in six spots, you know, around my tree the day before, I don't have any idea. I just kind of have to take that chance, you know, yeah. um, people are going to, you know, 
the, but the reason why I started doing the kayak was to, to combat that really is to, um, get myself away from, from the people, from the crowds. And basically most of these spots, man, I have to myself. Um, I don't have to worry about people. I have thousands of acres that I can pretty much have to myself and not ever have to wonder, is somebody going to be sitting up in a tree when I get there? Um, you know, I have them, I have it pretty much all to me, yeah. which is pretty nice, which is pretty fun. That's crazy. Like I talked to a guy, uh, I don't know if he was out of Georgia or what state he was. And he was telling me all this money he paid for a lease. And, yeah. uh, and I'm just like, Oh, cool. So he's like, I go, how big's the lease? He's like, the lease is uh 3000 acres. I'm like, Oh my God, you have three, you, you know, that's interesting to me. 3000 acres. And he, and, mm-hmm. and I said, man, so you can just go and do like run and gun all over that. And he's like, no, um, that lease, that three, that 3000 acres is broken down into is divided up by everybody. So the guy who's been on the lease, the longest, right. Gets his little section and it's all broken down. So now, um, so, you know, through conversation, I find out that it's only 200 acres he gets access yeah. to out of that 3000. So somewhere around, <laughs> there might've been just under 200 acres. And I'm like, okay, so now what you're telling me is you're paying that, that money to hunt 200 acres a year. And he's like, uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess like he, he didn't really think that he's like, I'm paying for 3000 acres, but you're not getting 3000 acres. You're getting under 200 acres. And, I get it. That's probably how a lot of people have to do it if they want to hunt and, you know, get opportunities because like, you know, hunting public ground is very difficult at times. So when I, when I hear guys paying for leases and the amounts that they're paying, not necessarily leases, but those hunt clubs, and I'm just like, oh my God, take that money and go on a great out of state hunt somewhere one, like for, for one week a year. And, you know, put a little extra work into the planning and you'll have just as many up other opportunities on bigger deer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, you know, we went to um, we went to Kentucky this past season. We're going to that'll be con- continue being a trip that we go on. And man, there's more you get one you get one buck tag in Kentucky. So all the local people there, they get one buck tag. And, uh, I, I ended up going three different times during the season and saw more bucks in Kentucky than I saw all season in Alabama. And, um, and, and I didn't have to kayak there. Actually, I saw more bucks when I wasn't kayaking, when I was just walking in to places. And I mean, having th- that at your fingertips, it literally costs 260 bucks for a tag yeah. there and you can hunt public land and have good opportunity at deer, like better than anywhere I've ever hunted in Alabama. That's public land, private land combined. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, for me, it's like, man, just if you're going to spend thousands of dollars on a club in Alabama, spend 260 bucks plus a couple trips in gas to go to Kentucky and have a great opportunity to kill a deer. Like yeah. there's, there's no reason why somebody shouldn't be able to kill a deer every single year hunting public land in Kentucky. Yeah. And put half the amount of money into it. It's just, it's just crazy what, what people are willing to pay out here. Really, you're paying. I think most people pay for convenience. Yeah. I think that's kind of the, the, the issue with it. 
it's not an issue. It's people's money. They can spend it how they want to, but um, I'd rather just I'd rather spend my money and ha- and that up my chances at killing a deer. That's kind of how I am. Yeah, I had this conversation with uh, my buddy Mark Kenyon yesterday. Um, I'm actually going like the time this is recorded when this when this podcast actually launches, I'll be in Texas, right? So oh, sweet. Yeah, so I'm actually going on. Uh, my first ever Texas experience, right? When I say Texas experience, I'm talking about a high fence. I'm going on a high fence. I got invited to a media hunt. And uh, so I'm getting ready to see how a large group of hunters lives. Uh, and I won't be, I won't be hunting whitetails. I'll be hunting like Audad and uh, like access deer and uh, dude. Yeah. Access deer is the best tasting meat you'll ever eat. Really? I'm telling you that for a fact. Okay, so I need to focus on one of those, right? Yeah. Okay. All that sucks. The meat's terrible. Okay. All right. So and I'll, I'll yeah. shoot one of those then. I'll try to shoot a. I'll try to shoot a sick of deer, and uh, uh, and it, it's cool because this whole thing's paid for, right? So dang it. Yeah, they're gonna actually. If I shoot something, they're actually going to pay for the meat to get shipped back to my house. Dude. Yeah. So that's going to be tight. I might have to call you up for a recipe or two. What's the yeah, difference? Man. So what's the difference between whitetail and Sika deer? Uh, I don't know about Sika deer. I know Axis deer. Axis deer. Yeah. I think it's Axis um, deer. Yeah, yeah. Axis deer has like this like sweet taste to it. Yeah. Oh my gosh, dude. And it's so good. You just don't, don't overcook it. Like, right. It's super lean. And, uh, also they're, they're, um, their stomachs digest differently, so they can eat um, they can eat certain grasses and certain certain things that deer deer stomach can't break down. Okay, and so it makes the it makes the meat just so much better. It's like, dude, I, I can't explain it. It's just delicious. Like, okay, and and you don't have to do a whole lot to it, like salt and pepper, and throw it on the grill and and don't overcook it. Almost like rare. Gotcha. And dude, it's, it'll blow your mind how good that meat tastes. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that part of it. Uh, you know, checking that out. So, um, you know, and the reason I brought that up is because, you know, here I am sitting up here in Iowa, looking down on, you know, looking down on how a lot of other people hunt and saying, well, that's weird and stuff like that. And I, I don't mean it to come out that way because Every place in the United States is different. Every place has a different, I'm sure guys come up here and they say, oh man, you got it, you know, you got it good. You got this, you got this. And yeah, I do. Uh, But you know, if I, let's say my life somehow took a right turn and led me to Alabama or Georgia again, I'd either be kayaking in with you or I'd be finding some way to hunt. And if that meant joining a club so i could hunt then damn i'm i'm joining a club to hunt you know what i mean yeah yeah and and the, the an interesting thing about you know you being going to texas is in texas hunting is almost a rich man's sport like you have to have access or own property or right. be willing to pay you know thousands of dollars to go on one of these outfitted hunts behind a high fence and 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 for people there that's just that's just a way of life that this yeah. is how they do it yeah. Um, you know, these axis deer hunts and, and so I've, I've hunted, I've hunted a high fence for exotics before. I've never hunted a high fence for whitetails. Um, but as a whole, I don't really have anything against it unless they are, you know, 
doing certain things that are unhealthy for the for the deer or for the population. I you know as a whole I I was raised around it, so I, I kind of get it. That doesn't mean that I'm going to hunt that way all yeah. the time. Uh, I, I kind of feel like you know you're allowed to have an opinion on it, and, and even if it's not the way that you hunt, I don't think you have to put other people down who do it. Yeah. And and most people are just uneducated about it. They don't understand it. Yeah. Um, the fact of the matter is, you know, axis deer, uh, there's, there's some, some African game animals that would be in extinct, uh, if it were not for high fence operations in Texas yeah. that are doing their part to, to preserve, you know, those, those species. And, um, you know, I mean, out here, you know, in, in, in Texas or in, uh, in Alabama, it's tough to kill deer in Iowa. I've never been there, but I've heard it's, if you want to kill a deer, you can kill a deer in Iowa. Yeah. Um, like it's not that hard, but that doesn't make either one of them more valuable of an experience than the other. It just all depends on the hunter. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I completely agree with you, man. I think your, your surroundings have to make up, you know, have to form the way that you want to do it and the experience that you want to have. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think, I don't know about you, but my, ex, my experience is, has changed. Like the experience that I want out of hunting has changed over the last couple of years. Right. So I ended up, you know, from an antler scoring, I guess I hate to put a number on it. Right. But from an antler scoring perspective, I shot my biggest buck ever this year. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a five-year-old deer. He had big antlers, whatever. But the story of this deer, compared to some of the other stories that I have on some of these whitetails um, that I've shot, just isn't as cool. So, like, I don't want to rank them. It's just a different story. But the story of the buck I shot this past year just isn't, like, it's not as memorable to me as the story of let's say the buck that i saw in 2012 i saw him the night before and so we went back in there and i saw him come up and i rattled at him and he ignored me and i grunted at him and he ignored me and he was looping down to this uh this is the fast version but he he was looping down to this (laughs) bedding area and i was right in this thick bedding area and he kind of disappeared and he was like eat munching on some something on the ground and i then i snort wheezed at him and then he came in like a freaking rocket and then uh you know, then I ended up uh, trying, I drew back, he was completely broadside, and right as I drew back, he turned, and like, he came right into the stand, like, he was at five yards from my stand, he's looking, and he saw my sticks, and he went, he looked straight up at me, and I was aiming for the white patch to try to drive it right down into his chest, and uh, the second I pulled my trigger on the release, he dropped his head and loaded. You know how they get real low? They load yeah. before they take off. My arrow went through his nostril, and one blade of the broadhead opened up his entire neck and throat, and he was he was dead in 60 yards. Good right? Lord. Yeah, so not the most ideal uh <laughs> not the most ideal hunt, not the most ideal shot, but the strategy worked. That was awesome, and the shot worked. I mean, it killed the deer and yeah. whatever. I mean, like that story to me is awesome as opposed to, hey, I, you know, uh, I set up in a terrain feature, this buck popped out and I shot him. Like that's literally, the the, the story comes, like the, 
the story from last year's buck comes after I shoot him, right? The yeah, all that yeah. stuff and finding him and whatnot. But I don't know, man. I just like I I don't know about you, but I like doing stuff the hard way. Yeah, I'm the same way, man. I this it just feels better to me. You know, I like it. I like it sometimes when it, when stuff comes the easy way. Yeah. Like I think you have to have some of those every once in a while, but. Right. The story, man, the story of the, the hard ones are the are the best one, you know, for sure. It's kind of funny, too, because, like, there's guys out there, right, who they put a lot of hard work into their properties, right? They plant the food plots, they do the hinge cutting, and then when it comes time to hunt, they're in a box blind over a green field, and, and basically they just sit there and they wait for these deer to pop out, right? Yeah. So it's like yeah. all these all the, these tv people or whatever you see a lot of these deer getting shot out of box blinds or even in the midwest right Mm -hmm. and i love catching there's this one specific example of i love catching it where there's a guy who did that talking with a guy who walked a mile into public land through a swamp or up the side of a mountain and killed the (laughs) same caliber of buck you know, and then they have this conversation and it's like, so how'd you kill him? Well, I was, you know, I did it in a shooting house over top of a food plot on, you know, a thousand managed acres. Oh, cool, man. So tell me about your buck. Yeah, dude. So, um, I scouted all summer long. I walked in, you know, I had this conversation with a guy out of Virginia who said he walks six miles in from the road to get to one of his spots right so that's yeah, insane I, I walked five miles to get into this spot or you know i had to drop down and loop in and do all this stuff drop into a creek set up my tree stand in the dark right i sat there all day and i was in the tree stand for like 12 hours and then he popped up at last light and i drilled him and then i had to it took me a day to in a and a friend pack him out so like those two conversations with those two people have it's almost like the other guy feels somewhat inadequate when he hears the sure. story of the public land guy. You know what I mean? And, and I love that. I do too. But the, the one thing is, is that, you know, I mean, there was, I know a guy out here, actually, I actually just, uh, have, I have permission to Turkey hunt on his property next season. It's like 5,000 acres of prime land that nobody Turkey hunts. And, um, but I had a long conversation with him and he's like, you know, I, I just kind of like growing deer better than I like hunting them. Yeah. He's like, we, we, we do a lot of work and dude, it's like you walk through this property and every tree has its, has a purpose. Like he has put every tree in place for a reason. Yeah. So there is a lot to say for people like that who have absolutely put a lot of work into property management and, you know, learning how to do it. Um, Sure, the six mile walk in is hard for that day, but at the same time, like the the property managing guy that's shooting deer over a food plot, he worked hard all year, right? To to do that, and that, that doesn't make it means one of them's not greater than the other. It's just according to the experience that you want to have. Like this guy, you know, the guy I just mentioned, he's got a lot of money, a lot of time. He's retired, and he has all this property, and he his experience that he wants is. I want to grow big deer for my friends and family to come in and enjoy. Right. Like that's his experience. That's what he wants, man. And, and so for me, that does, I mean, that sounds like fun, but I I will never have the amount of money that he has. 
and I will never have the amount of time and the ability to do that because that's just not something that I want to do. Yeah. But but that's what he wants. So yeah. absolutely. Um, so for me, I love the public land aspect. Like that's that's what I love to death. Um, but it doesn't make it greater than in the grand scheme of things. If that makes sense, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And I'm going to, I'm a hypocrite. I'm a, I I am a self-admitted hypocrite because if I ever came into enough money to where I could purchase a property, what do you think I would be doing? I'd be manipulating the habitat and I'd be planting food (laughs) plots straight up. I'm not going to lie. Putting a high fence around. (laughs) Now, I don't know about that. Not in Iowa anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Is it, is it not legal in Iowa? Well, I'm sure I'm sure you can put a high fence up around it and have deer in there, but um, it's it then becomes high fence and right. I mean, then what you're doing is it's and I think there's there are high fence operations in Iowa, but as we all know, if you shoot a deer inside of a high fence, it just it doesn't count in any record books, which turns people off because right. of, you know, like so, like for me, I don't hardly score any of my deer anyway. So like score doesn't matter to me. And I think the high fence aspect kind of takes some, something away because it's a completely controlled environment, right? Mm -hmm. There's no, there's no ifs, you know, there's no chess, there's less of a chess match, if that makes sense. Sure. You know, if you don't mind uh, talking about that for a second, um, I think so you said you're going to Texas and y'all are going to hunt. It'll be a exotic high fence hunt. Is yes. that correct? Yes. For it's, it's a media hunt, right? So I'm going there. For, right. I'm going there for work, but in our free time we get to do. Some right. Hunting. Yeah. So I think what you're going to see is, uh, and I hope it, I hope it is. And I would imagine with, with the group that you'll be going with that, that it'll be like, this has probably been thought of, uh, there are operations there in Texas that are like canned hunts. Like you said, there's not an, if it's a, when you shoot your animal. Right. But there's also operations there where their high fence is just specifically to manage the property that they have and to manage the deer herd that they have. It'll be big, huge pieces of property. And it's not a, win. it's a, it's an, if, you know, it's, if you get a shot opportunity, and uh so like and especially if you're going after axis or audad in either one those are some of the smartest freaking animals and toughest and it doesn't matter you may see them but you may never get a shot and uh so you know it, it, i think your perspective is probably going to change on just high fence as a whole after yeah. going and experiencing it yeah. and um you know i try to tell people that because out here in alabama there's not a lot of high fence operations there's some but for the most part, most hunters are completely against it. Like, like it's not hunting and sometimes it's not, but sometimes it is. Sometimes it's just, it's just a management tool that they use. Yeah. And, um, you know, I know a lot of people listen to this probably will, <laughs> will highly disagree with me. Um, but uh, you know, that's okay. I, ha- I do have experience in it and I do kind of, I've been on private or on uh, low fence operations that were higher chance, higher opportunity than some high fences. Oh yeah. So, oh yeah. And, and Iowa has those, right? We have yeah. those farms that are 2000 continuous acres in a big square, all the foods in the middle. 
and there's deer that literally don't leave that. They don't need to leave that property. They have everything mm-hmm. they need right there. They they'll never go on the neighbor's property because the that property is so big, and uh, it is what it is. You know, um, yeah. I feel at times I sit on a high horse and I. It's almost like I'm judging people. I try not to because in the grant, like you said, in the grand scheme of things, all I want is for hunting to be an option for my grandchildren someday. Right. Right. And I, I don't care if you hunt in, you know, a 2000 highly managed acre farm or if you hunt public land, I just want that public land to be there for the opportunity uh, for the people who can't afford to buy land. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I don't want yeah. it to turn into a rich man sport. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. And and at the first sign that you know, like, you know, the whole the whole issue with CWD and um, uh, the I will not name the person, but there was a a celebrity, um, in the hunting industry that was very vocal about CWD being a a scam. And, you know, cause they were, they were kind of pointing at high fence operations as, Hey, this could, this could up the risk of CWD spreading. And this guy who owns a high fence operation, uh, just went on a rant about CWD being a scam and all this bull crap. You know, for me, that was where the line is drawn when it comes, when it comes between, you know, protecting a deer herd and making sure that it stays healthy versus making those people making money off of a deer herd or whatever like i'm going right. to go with i'm going to go with protecting it more yeah. than i'm going to go with the, the people making their making their money and making their claims and yeah. so you know I, i'm not necessarily against it but at the first sign that it is it it threatens you know like actually threatens not just opinion threatens but actually threatens what we do, then I'll be, I'll be able to form a better opinion on it, you know? Yep. Um, Absolutely. And I think the, the, that side of the picture, right. The, the guy you were talking about and the QDMA side or whatever, right. The, the people who think CWD is a big issue and the people who think that it's not an issue at all. Right. So that we have two, mm -hmm. two huge sides of the story. What I what I say is that there is still not enough science based facts and information about CWD for us to make any type of decisions yet on anything. Mm -hmm. So the most important thing that we need to do is support CWD research that will allow us to get the information and facts that we need to make scientific based decisions decisions right and yeah. science is gonna is gonna be the key here and maybe you know what maybe cwd has been around for a thousand years and maybe research hasn't told us that and maybe it's just a part of you know nature correcting overpopulation or whatever or at the same time maybe cwd is the armageddon for deer like some mm-hmm. people you know this could be the armageddon versus uh it's just a bug right it's nothing Right. Right. So I think there needs to be a lot more information from all parties. And this is this is bullshit because we have people that don't even want to work together because they're so prideful of their stance on it that Mm -hmm. like we know the answer is research. We know that. 
but why are you guys fighting? It doesn't make any sense and it doesn't help anybody. Yeah, it's, I mean, on this specific situation, it's based around, you know, the money. Yeah. It's, it's what it's based around on that, not the CWD conversation as a whole, but the with the guy that I was talking about. You know, he makes he makes money off of this this operation. And I mean, it, this threatens that for him. Yeah, it threatens his dollar. Yeah. And but at the end of the day, it's not about the. It cannot be about the dollar. It has to be about the future. Like he this. Oh, well, we could we could probably go on and <laughs> everybody probably has already figured out who I'm talking about. But. Um, you know, it, it, you cannot, it can't be based around an opinion. It has to be based around facts when you yep. make decisions on, on that kind of stuff. And, um, but to kind of like bring that back, you know, I think a lot of people have a, an opinion on, on a high fence operation or, you know, a fair chase or whatever, when there's really no, they have no facts to back up anything and or experience on it so i'm i'm looking forward to hearing what you how you feel about um this after yeah. you go on this trip right right and and that's one of the re- main reasons like I, I was talking to mark about i'm like hey man in order for me to fully be able to talk on it i gotta go on one right and here's a perfect opportunity for me to go do this so yeah it'll be fun all right, so switching up gears a little bit before people so totally, totally kayaks. Yeah, so kayaks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, so the Sportsman's Nation has a YouTube channel, right? And you've been a big part in that. And so my question to you is what what caused you to want to pick up a camera and start documenting all of this nature stuff? Uh, yeah. So, uh, so kayaks actually, <laughs> um, no dude last, the, the first year I did kayak stuff, I started hunting from a kayak. So many crazy things happened that season that I was just like, Oh my God, I got to have a camera. And, and it really, nothing really spurred me into it until you called me and asked about, you know, starting a, a podcast for the South and, um, starting, you know, something, some type of podcast on the sportsman's nation and that was when I, I looked at my wife and I was like, man, maybe I should start just filming stuff. I mean, this is a good platform, a good opportunity. Um, I need to get a camera. So I ended up buying a camera, which if anybody knows when you buy one camera, you buy more cameras. And then that becomes <laughs> that becomes what you an what addiction. you do. Yeah, it is an addiction. And uh, and so I just started, man, we started filming stuff and actually started during turkey season last year. And uh I got a, a very uh I got a video of a turkey I killed last year. It was my it was my first one on public land and uh it wasn't good, but it was a video and I was happy with it and from then on out it was like, okay, I just got to keep building on this and make everyone better than this. And so we just started. I invested a lot into it, a lot of time. Uh pulled a couple of my buddies in and they started filming as well. And man, just uh went for it and it's been great like it's been a lot of fun it's yeah. i've been more become more addicted to really the getting the footage and editing the video it's just been it's been a blast yeah so i tell the story all the time like i used to sit on sunday nights with my dad and my brother we'd pop some popcorn uh we'd mix peanuts and m&ms together and have this like little mm. little uh 
you know, father-son's type of evening, and we would sit and watch National Geographics, right? And <laughs> the, we, whether it was in Africa or Asia, there's some cool animal or some, you know, ocean or desert that they're, you know, doing all their uh, filmography on, and uh, and I just loved it. I loved the the cinematography that went along with it. And so that, you know, fast forward when I had the opportunity to join like White Knuckle back in 2006, uh, you know, start up that, that was like, I, I bought, I bought a camera and I got all this stuff and I loved it and I loved it and I loved it. But for me, it was weird because then I started getting into hunting hardcore, right? Mm-hmm. And I got to the point several years later to where I ended up wounding a deer didn't kill it but i wounded it because i was trying to get it on camera i was filming myself and then from that point on it was like it was like a 170 10 it was he was a giant Mm. i let him walk through (laughs) one shooting lane to try to get him on film and then uh (laughs) and then i took a bad shot because i was more focused on getting him on film than actually harvesting the deer and since that day i haven't brought a camera in the tree with me yet Wow. But, like, I got this itch to continue to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. We talk about it. Me and, me, and, uh, me and my buddies talk about it all the time. We're like, why isn't Dan filming his stuff? He lives in Iowa. Right. Like, he lives in Iowa. Yeah. Like, how cool would that be? Like, I don't know. For us, we get, like, five deer on footage all season long. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's so we dream about places like Iowa. Like, we could actually get, like, deer on camera. Yeah. It'd be so cool. Yeah. Uh, dude, I think you should, I think you should go for it. Well, I, so obviously like I had a, I have old equipment. So like my, my handy cam doesn't even work anymore. So I need to go buy something with an automatic zoom. Cause the DLSRs that I have just aren't going to cut it, you know, trying to use two hands and I need something. Listen, dude. This is America. You don't have to have real money to buy stuff. Like you can have <laughs> fake money. And go buy all your cameras. <laughs> so you're saying a credit card? Oh, dude, absolutely. Uh, uh, let me talk to you about some credit card <laughs> drama. Okay, so I don't know if I've ever told this story on the podcast, but so when I was young and stupid, like real stupid, I got this credit card, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to have some fun with it. Well, me and my buddy, we were at a man. I'm trying to think of what I didn't have a job. He, I, I don't think he had a job either. Um, we were at a. It was like a Perkins or a what's the what's another Denny's or something like that. Eating lunch. Yeah. And I'm. He's like, man, I'm I'm so bored. Whatever. This sucks. I need to find a job. And we were like doing odds and ends jobs just to make some money. And. I said, man, we need to, we're, we're young. We need to go have some fun. And, uh, I said, Uh-oh. you know what? If Led Zeppelin comes on the radio right after this song, we're going on a road trip. And <laughs> sure enough, Led Zeppelin came on this on right after I said that that night we got in my car, we went to St. Louis, we went to Milwaukee, we went to somewhere else, um, uh, like some place in Northeast Iowa, another place in Wisconsin. And we lived like I made million dollars a year, right? Like 
I oh, no. put it all on the credit card, right? So when I awoke from this stupid stupor, right, uh, I look at my bill and they're just like, oh, you owe $300 a month now, right, for <laughs> however long. And I am not kidding when I say to this day, well, it's that part of it's paid off because I did like a little home refinance with some other like debt. But it was like I had that debt for like 10 years off of that one weekend. That's amazing. So stupid. So stupid. Just imagine all the cool hunts I could have went on if oh, man. Uh, I didn't. Were you married yet oh, no. or no? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely okay. Not. Well, that's that's I, good. If I did that today, I wouldn't. I'd come home and there would be a new man at the house answering the door. <laughs> right? Like, hello. How do you how do you explain that to your wife? Like, yeah, you know, will you marry me? Yeah, I mean, I've got all this <laughs> credit card debt that no. from stupid decision. Right. So I I don't even know if I had that conversation with her before. <laughs> that, uh, like, she, we were dating. We got married, and I, she what what did she do? She was like. She's like, you're paying how much a month on credit card debt? I'm like, like three fifty. She's like, holy shit, that's crazy. So finally, what, so what did you buy? Absolutely nothing, actually. Yeah, I, I didn't get anything, dude. We would get we would get like pretty tipsy at a bar, and I would say to the bartender, I said, I want everybody in line with me that's on this side of the bar. I want to buy them a shot. And then we would, that's how we would start the parties, right? I mean, just, it was nuts, like just stupid. Go back to hotel rooms that were like $250, $300 a night. Oh God. You know, we'd go out to eat on every meal and my buddy helped pay for some of it, but I was just like, uh, uh-uh, I got this man. And I'd <laughs> throw the card down and swipe it, you know, just swipe it. <laughs> no, I, so, so actually I don't recommend getting credit cards. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, don't, don't do that. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like a good move. Right. Now let me um, ask, let me ask you this. You're tatted up. Yeah. Right. Yep. What what started that? Because I know a lot of people they get their first tattoo. Like I have a really shitty tattoo on my back. Right. It was like I'm, <laughs> dude. I'm 18. I'm gonna get a tattoo, and I got all oh, these dragons are badass. But I didn't have enough. <laughs> I didn't have enough money to get the wings, the dragon wings. So I just got the dragon bodies type of thing. So now it looks like <laughs> two angry seahorses staring each other down, which is which is it's stupid, right? And so my question is like, how old were you when you got your first tattoo, and how did that kind of expand into what you got rocking today? Yeah, I was uh, I was eighteen. I uh, I'm trying to think. I just graduated high school, and I got my first one. And it actually is really bad. It's a really bad tattoo. Mm-hmm. A, I, I was like, I don't know. I wanted to draw my own, and I can't draw really that good. And <laughs> I wanted to be creative and all this stuff. I ended up getting this cross that is like in a flame, and it ends up looking like a cross on fire, and. It, Ironically, I live in Alabama where the KKK is still alive and well. <laughs> and so I have this burning cross on the back of my arm. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's bad, man. And so uh, I got that one. It, it's just a really bad tattoo. It doesn't it doesn't look that good. But luckily, it's on the back of my arm and you can't really see it that well. But I, just, I don't know. I just always I always liked them. And uh, I just started getting more and more and more and. I still got them to this day. I got them. I got one arm completely done. I got another one that's almost done. 
and then I got my legs are pretty covered up too. Yeah. And uh, I I don't know. I just like them. Yeah. <laughs> there wasn't really like a most of them don't have a lot of meaning to them. I just like the art or whatever. And yeah. Um, some of them do. I have one, you know, that uh for my daughter, and then my wife is pregnant with our second one. It'll be a little boy, and I'll get one for him. And yeah, it's just kind of kind of what I, I just like them. All right, so. <laughs> Now I have to talk about what you do for a living because yep. I went to a church that was the type of church that was stand up, sit down, sing a song, sit down, stand up, say some words, sit down, stand up, you know, like bop, 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 old people. Yep. Just like, and I remember like when I was, I was in the youth group and we would do these things and you know, we tried to have fun because we were youthful and fun and enjoyable. Mm -hmm. And we'd get some people that would come up to us after this, after we did our youth group thing. And they'd be like, I hope you learned some scripture out of this thing. And it wasn't just <laughs> all fun for you. And you realize that <laughs> God died for our sins and blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, oh, lady, you're such a buzzkill. Like, go away from me. Just <laughs> get away from me. Right. So you have all these tats and you you're a preacher at a church, right? That's you're kind of a preacher. Yeah, kind of. It's a big church, so I'm actually a worship pastor. I don't preach the sermons or anything like that. I do the music and um, and then a lot of other stuff. I counsel people. I'll marry people from time to time, like just uh, kind of depending on the on the situation. But um, yeah, I, I oversee a lot of a lot of people. Uh, we have three different campuses at our church. Oh wow! So we have we have one here in Coleman where I live, and then we have one in Hartzell where you used to live at. Yep. And, uh, and then we have one up in Madison, which is around Huntsville. And so I oversee the, the music department of all three of those campuses. Okay. And, um, so do your tats, yeah. long story short, has anybody ever come up to you and was like, you could just see that they were judging you based off of what you oh, look like. Always. It happens <laughs> a lot. It happens less now because the taboo of tattoos is kind of fading away. Yeah. Um, but dude, like I live in a place, I live in a County that just became wet. Like, right. I don't like five or six years ago. Like when, it, I li it, when I lived there, I had to go to another County to buy beer. Right. Yeah. You, you just like, that's, that's where I live at. And so Hartzell, I think just became wet, like maybe like three years ago or so. Yeah. Um, which is Morgan County maybe. Yeah. I and know. Like, so th this is the kind of people that are here. And so church people are, are going to be that times a million, a lot of the time now, some of them. Um, and so, you know, tattoos have always been, I had a guy, uh, there's a, a girl that goes to our church. That's a, that's a good friend of mine. And she's on our, our worship team at the church. And she had an uncle that, um, she had an uncle that was in prison for, like years, like 15 years or so. Like he was in prison for a long time and he came to church and saw me on stage and was like, man, I can tell that guy's done some time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I can tell he's had a tough life. He was good, but I can tell he's had a tough life. He's done probably done some time <laughs> and I, ha well, I haven't, you know, but <laughs> for the time that you he got was street cred, yeah, I did. I got big time street cred. But the guy was put in prison like 15 years ago. So at the time that he was in prison, it was church. You didn't see tattooed people in church. Right, right. 
Um, I love it though. Like we have so many people in our church that have, are covered up in tattoos and a lot of people on stage, a lot of people on our church staff are covered in tattoos. And so, um, it's really, I like seeing it, you know, I, and I don't, I don't judge a book by its cover at all, you know? So, um, I, I don't like when other people do, but at the same time, you know, times are changing and, yep. you know, there, it, it's not really as big of a deal as it used to be. Right. And, um, so, yeah, Have but it ever, definitely happens. I can, yeah. I just imagine like some, some old church lady coming up to you and being like, Oh, you're the devil. That's the devil's work. You better watch out, say your prayers, whatever. And then you saying like, Hey ma'am, don't get too close to me or they might jump off me and onto you or so like some smart ass cop. <laughs> well, dude, I, I'll be honest with you, man. Like the old ladies are the best. Like they'll come up and like, now what's that one mean? And like the <laughs> old ladies are the, they're the best. It's usually the old men or even like not even old men, like middle-aged and young men. Like they'll, they'll be like real, like just, uh, just judgmental. The old yeah. ladies are usually pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, honestly, they're prob- and, uh, they probably realize that they're going to die soon and they wish they had fun with tattoos. They wish they would have had tattoos. That's yep. right. That's right. That's true. My wife just got her fast, her first tattoo last year. And she's, oh, really? she's 39 and it was just a simple AMK on her forearm. That was for our children. First name of our children. That's it. Something small. Okay. It's like barely the size of my pinky finger. And, uh, yeah. So to each, my wife, that. she's, uh, she's working on a sleeve, but she keeps getting pregnant. So she can't get tattooed. <laughs> <laughs> she's pregnant, but she's working on it. She's, she's getting close to it. Right. So let me ask you this, you know, we're going to, we're getting ready to close down the, the podcast here pretty soon, but your daughter, right. It's like, dad, I want to tat. Are oh, you yeah. going to be the kind of dad that's like, you better not. Or are you going to be the kind, you know, hypocrite dad? Cause I feel like I'm going to be the hypocrite dad. Like you better not do that. Don't, you know, don't disgrace your body and all this crap. And uh, she comes home with one. Are you going to be like, oh, that's cool? Or are you going to be like, hey, you better watch out? Um, well, I, I probably will be I, – I hope to have a relationship with her where she'll let me take her to get her first one. I got gotcha. you. Like, like, I don't – I mean, if she wants to get a tattoo, then that's that's great. And I think me and and my wife are both kind of on the same page on that, like – if she want, I'd love to take her to get her first one. Cause you know, for me, I don't, I don't find like, I don't, I have a lot of stupid tattoos right. and, and they're great conversation starters. I have one, um, which me and you, Dan share the same YouTube. So I know you'll understand this reference. Um, the, uh, it, I'm sure you know who Drake is. Yeah. Correct. I know Drake. Um, I see it on our on the Sports Nation YouTube channel. I see like hip hop always coming up <laughs> on the like on the suggested videos. It'll be like some kind of hood rap or something. <laughs> and uh, I'm like Dan must have been on the YouTube lately. That's right. Uh, so I have this tattoo that says it's got a rotary phone on it, and it says you "used to call me on my rotary" instead of <laughs> you "used to call me on my cell phone." Which is the Drake song, and uh, I, the only reason I got it is because the tattoo artist had it on a piece of flash, on a flash sheet that he had on his desk, and he said nobody had ever gotten it, so I got it. There you go. Like I've got I've got tattoos like that, you know, that are just kind of dumb. One of and one. so I say I say all that to say like, you know, if if my daughter if if she wants to get a tattoo, like I want to take her, 
Like I want, I want her, I want to discourage her from getting burning crosses. <laughs> uh, getting a tattoo in the in a bathroom of a gas station, sweetie, is not a good place to get a tattoo. Yeah. Yeah, and and honestly, you know, I'd rather her just be upfront and honest with us instead of like hiding it from us. Right. I'd rather just, you know, those kind of things like that. Just, you know, let's go together. Let's make it fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, well, man, we've got time. Yeah. We're done. Yep. Thanks for hopping on, man. I appreciate. Yeah, it. man. Absolutely. That was a that was a blast. I I told you earlier, but I feel like you reach a new level when you get to be on a real BS session podcast. <laughs> Like you're you're on a different level, <laughs> Mr. Parker McDonald. Thank you very much for your time. Appreciate the uh, conversation. Huge shout out to all of you who have taken time out of your day to download, listen to this podcast. Man, that really means a lot. If you're not subscribed to the Sportsman's Nation venue, I guess the 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 clients or I don't even know how to say that they're not clients but like all the content providers to the network right Um, whether you're into big game fishing whitetail hunting turkey hunting man we have we cover it all right so this is like a one-stop shop Uh, so thank you and be sure to subscribe because we have a lot of great content from a lot of really good content providers so uh, explore all of that, you know, Sportsman's Nation website, check it out, sportsmansnation.com, Instagram, Facebook, make sure you like it, that, and I am really, like, I don't know if you can, like, kill yourself drinking coffee, but I feel like today I'm really close, like, I slammed a pot right when I woke up this morning, and now I got the jitters where I can't even focus right now, so now I'm talking about coffee when I should be doing the outro to this podcast, blah, blah, blah. Thank you very much to all the partners of this podcast, Hunter Safety Systems, Lone Wolf, Wasp, Ripcord, Ozonics and Prime. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. And last but not least, if you're going to be in a tree doing any type of tree stand work, please wear your damn safety harness. Have a good rest of the week. <laughs>